hear this word, we can almost Im- immediately feel something um, turn in our stomach. We can almost feel something turn in our stomach. Our, our rebellious hearts don't like this concept. But, but God is asking this from us throughout our lives. Um, how many know that, that sometimes communicating with, with teens or um, can be challenging sometimes. <laughs> yeah, somebody said amen. Yeah, um, but here I'm going to I'm going to clue you into um, a, a really catchy way to stay relevant to them. Um, if you put a hashtag in front of any word, they immediately understand it. <laughs> immediately, that just shifts their minds to understanding. So this morning we're talking about hashtag winning by obeying, um, and so we're talking about this concept yet yeah, of obedience. Um, everyone here, everyone here who was, um, we'll say the bad kid in school can tell you why they don't like this word. And all of us whose hearts tend towards sin, which is ultimately what it's, it's disobedience towards God, right? It's, it's disobedience. We're uncomfortable at varying levels with this concept of obeying. I wonder why that is. I, I, I think it's because, and I think we see the, the pattern in scripture that we, as, as humans, we want our own way, right? We want, we want our own way. Let's face it. At the end of the day, we want what, what we want. Our, our hearts are, are, are selfish. So why, but why obedience as we honor and encourage our graduates this morning? Common this year, you hear a lot of messages about your future and, and a drive to succeed and a pursuit of career and, and these are all common things that um, you'll hear at graduation commencements and different things like that. Um, but why obedience? The ancient Hebrew language, actually, as, as I looked in this a little bit more, had a really, really cool way of communicating um, the idea of following through with someone's instruction or, or advice or... or um, suggestions for obedience. It actually connected the actions, the action of hearing with the action of doing what you heard. And it, it, it combined those two into one thought. There was no separate word for obey as there was for listening. Isn't that interesting? Um, as opposed to, um, uh, hearing or listening. It was all the same word. So take a look at this clip, if you would. It dives into this interesting concept of the word for hearing and doing, Shema. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. 
So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because, she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Hey guys, thanks Out for there, watching Bible Project. Maryland. We hope this video... There you go. Thank you. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So real obedience takes listening followed up by action. It's, this, it's the same, of course, in our lives of faith. Uh, we, we can come to church more regularly than Billy Graham, but if all we're doing is hearing without action, our obedience is dead on arrival. If we're not responding in action to what the instruction of God's word is pointing us towards, our Shema is incomplete. In the Old Testament, we see a pattern of God often testing the obedience of those who claim to love him. Job, Noah, and others, we can see this, this again, this pattern of God testing the, the devotion and the, the, the um, obedience of those that loved him. One of the better known stories on the subject, of course, is the account of Abraham and his son Isaac. Um, if you've got your Bibles with me this morning and want to turn to Genesis 12, we'll start there at verse tw um, chapter 12, verse 1. Um, the verses will be up on the screen as well. As you turn there, remember the depth of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. Remember the, the, the huge importance of these covenants that God was making uh, with Abram. At, at this point, still Abram, remember. So chapter 12, verse 1, um, God said, speaking to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And again, in um, chapter 17, in chapter 17 there of Genesis, continuing on the similar vein of this covenant. Chapter 17, verse 3. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Uh, Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your, and your descendants and you for the generations and sorry, and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So God makes this life changing promise with Abraham, that's what this covenant, the word covenant, of course, we kind of understand is as a step beyond just a promise. It included a lot more, was wrapped up in a covenant than, than just promising something. But he makes this life-altering covenant with Abraham, so much so that he changed his name from Abram, which, just, which simply meant exalted father, to Abraham, which meant father of many. God even changed his wife's name uh, from, from uh, Sarai to Sarah. Um, Sarai meaning princess to Sarah, mother of nations. So we see this change that God made, the covenant that he made with them even reflected in, in, these, in the name changes that God um, instructed them of. And if you recall the story of Abraham and Sarah, you, you may remember that years passed. Years passed, and there was still no child. The, the assumptions made from the covenant God had given to them was that they would be fruitful, right? That they would, that they would um, have offspring, and it still had not happened. But now they had gotten too old. Too old for childbearing. And there was still no child. But how many of you know that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think they should be answered. Amen? But rather than wait on God any longer, remember that Sarah decides to take God's promises into her own, own hands. She wants, she wants control, right? She's going to take control of what God promised and, and, and do things her way. She ends up sending one of their servants in with Abram to have a child through her instead. Of course, Ishmael is born from Abram's servant, Hagar. And a whole slew of problems arise due to Sarah's impatience with the Lord's timing. Thirteen more years pass, according to Genesis 16 and 17, when God blesses Abraham and Sarah with their son, Isaac. Abraham was only 100 years old, (laughs) and Sarah 90 or 91, when God blessed them with a child, just as he promised, just as he promised. How many would have liked to have waited that long for your your first child? (laughs) No way, no way. So in spite of Sarah's impatience and disobedience to the Lord, in spite of their 
uh, misunderstanding of why God chose to provide the way he did, God does, still does, exactly what he said he would do, right? He blesses Abraham and Sarah with the answer to the covenant he made with them. The nations will now be blessed through them because of Isaac. He will be the father of many nations, blessed because of God's goodness and love. It's with these things in mind then that the next part of the story comes rather surprisingly. As we look further, um, looking ahead at, at chapter 22 of Genesis, turn there with me, Genesis 22, verse 1 through 5, we see next how God is going to test Abraham in a shocking, shocking way. Read along with me now. This is Genesis 22, uh, 1 through 5. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, uh, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. As we look on to this next part of the story, I want to show a, a video that's going to portray from a really neat series um, that they did um, called the Bible series. Um, parents, I just, I do want to caution a little bit due to the dramatic aspect of this, of this story. Just be, be aware of that if you've got young kids with you. Okay, go ahead. No, mistress.
What are you doing? You're hurting me, Father. Isaac, you must trust in God. Now, there's probably some, a little bit of artistic license, you know, taken there. But as difficult as that scene is to watch and to think about everything that was going on there, um, there's some really neat things that come out in the story uh, when you see it acted out um, versus reading the text. As a clip portrayed there, have you ever thought of the horror and anguish Sarah must have felt when she potentially realized what Abraham was probably doing there the scene did, did he take a lamb no you, what about the confusion and sadness that that Isaac felt when he he understood began to understand what his dad was was getting ready to do just some interesting things again to look at um, and also did you know that Abraham and Isaac had a British accent <laughs> I, I didn't know that I, I thought that was interesting to learn um, understand with me though for a second that God had asked Abraham to sacrifice what Abraham understood to be the very fulfillment of God's covenant with him. So what God was testing in Abraham went far beyond just a simple true or false question, true or false test. God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to trust him even in the most difficult of situations where the implications were the highest. Not only would the death of Isaac mean the loss, um, loss of Abraham and Sarah's only son together, as God had promised, it would mean the loss of the fulfillment of God's covenant. In fact, this had to have made such little sense, though, to Abraham that in the New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, the author there of Hebrews makes the case Um, Remember from Hebrews that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. 
This, was, this is Hebrews eleven nineteen that the author says that. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So Abraham had told himself he would ultimately trust God and obey in spite of his inability to see the whole picture. God would surely raise Isaac from the dead if necessary to continue his covenant to Abraham. He had so much trust in God's covenant that he reasoned that about God. Three points on obedience from Abraham and Sarah. Just some interesting points um, from the story. Number one, God tested Abraham all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Knife, knife raised and everything. Similar to other, to other Old Testament accounts, God didn't keep Abraham from walking through this test, from walking through the trial of obedience, right? But, but he always... And similar to, to other Old Testament accounts. He, he didn't keep people from walking into the test. He always, though, provided a way out. In the case of Daniel in the lion's den, think back to that story. God didn't keep Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den, did he? But he, but he sent an angel to stop or to shut the mouths of the lions. With the men in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God didn't keep them from being thrown into the, to the fire, to being thrown into the furnace. But what did he do? He provided an angel, or some believe even a precursor to the person of Christ, um, there in the furnace and protected them. There wasn't a burn, a scratch on their bodies. He protected them. He provided that way out. Through life's test, God often has us walk into them. But like the ram caught in the bush, he's going to provide a way out. Number two, Sarah grew impatient with God's timing. We do this all the time, right? In our own lives. We get impatient with God, what, has, what, what he's spoken to us or what he's told us, his promises in the wor- world, uh, in the word, I'm sorry. We grow impatient of, of God's timing. That, that 11th hour answer to prayer, we say that over and over again. I, I, I remember um, Brittany and I, my wife, and when we've gone through difficult phases and thinking, well, I, I, I told before, well, Brittany, I think it's past the 11th hour at this point. <laughs> you know, it feels like, okay, it, where, you know, God, when are you showing up? But like, like Sarah growing impatient with God's answer to his covenant and trying to manufacture an illegitimate solution, we often try to control our own situations. Our impatience, though, can unfortunately lead us to misstep, to lose faith, and to even doubt if God sees us anymore in those times. Don't get me wrong. Let's be honest. Waiting like Abraham and Sarah had to do for years, for 13, 13 years or so that it was, um, is difficult for anyone. That Waiting on God is, is not easy. But as cliche as it may sound sometimes, we can see, looking back on these stories and other times in our lives, right, that God's timing is ultimately the best. Amen? God's timing is the best. Not, not our own. God's is. Let's wait for God's promises. Let's wait for his timing and trust that he'll see us through to the best answer to his promises, not the one that we come up with or manufacture ourselves. Number three, Abraham lived obediently in spite of his lack of understanding. Abraham lived obediently in spite of his lack of understanding. 
Abraham had decided that regardless of his ability to comprehend God's plan, he would yet obey. Even if God's instruction didn't necessarily make sense. Parents and, and those who have raised, raised kids, we, we do our best to drill this concept of, uh, into our kids, don't we? Um, a lot of times when the why questions start, why, 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 why? Because I said so. <laughs> we, we go right to that. Because I said so when we can't come up with any other response. And, um, just because our kids don't understand often why we're telling them what we're telling them, we hope Really what we're getting at, I think, is that we hope that they trust that we have a fuller understanding of what's going on, right? Uh, You can't, son, you're 10, speaking to my own son, you can't see two years down the road and the implications of the the decisions that you're making now. Uh, When our kids are smaller, the instructions sound a little different though, don't they? Don't put that Lego up your nose, trust me. Don't put that fork in the light socket, trust me. Okay, don't drink that valve oil, Ethan. Okay, um, our, our oldest went through this phase. He's 10 now. He went through this phase earlier in life where he was just, we had poison control on speed dial. I kid you not. We, we had called him so many times that we finally knew the number. <laughs> and as, as much as, how many know as much as you tried to childproof everything that doesn't always work, okay? Um, in a span of a couple of years, he had drank hand sanitizer, he had um, drank valve oil, which if you're not familiar, I was a trumpet player, so that's the oil you put on the valves to make the keys go up and down. Highly toxic, says right on there, do not induce vomiting, like one of those things. Um, he had eaten a toilet bowl cleaner. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, it's those gummy ones that you stick on the inside of the bowl. Now, in his defense, they look pretty yummy. Like, it looks like a piece of candy. But we're, he comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like... Son, what are you eating? You know, oh, this, this blue, yummy blue thing is in the toilet. You know, we're going, why would you eat something out of the toilet? Oh my gosh. Uh, any, anyways, <laughs> from all of those things, obviously he survived. And it was just the things that kids do. You, sometimes you just throw your hands up. You don't know. Um, I, I like to tell the story. It's a little more shocking of Reagan, our five-year-old. And um, she, she would go steal our toothbrushes out of the bathroom and she'd chew on our toothbrushes for whatever reason. She'd just chomp on them. Well, she came out of the bathroom one day with a razor and was chewing a razor. She thought it was a toothbrush, chewing a razor, blood dripping down her chin. If you know Reagan, she's a firecracker. She was even phased by it. She's just smiling, you know. Um, anyways, she was fine too. I just say that these things, why, why do we have to say, don't chew on that razor, child? Um, <laughs> stories, right? We've all got them. We've all got them of things our kids have done. Our oldest stuck a metal hair clip in a light socket one time and shorted out the, you know, shorted out the lights. And so we had that conversation again. Ethan, don't put things in the light socket. So um, as our kids get older, though, right, that, that, advice, that advice starts to change a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully we've not, had, we've not had to continue telling them to not put things in the light sockets or to not chew on toilet bowl cleaners. Um, you know, they start sounding like, do your homework, son, please. Um, Honey, clean up your room, please. Be home before curfew. Make sure you get to work on time. Be respectful of teachers and bosses, all that. But as the authority in our children's lives, we're able to see the benefit uh, of obedience to our instruction, right? That, that our kids 
um, that our children may not be able to see in, in that moment. Some, they may even get annoyed and, and don't understand why we're, we're instructing them of these things. Now, I'm not saying we don't explain, of course, why these things are important. We don't, it's, of course, it's important that we talk about why, why these things are important. But the comparison here matters because, let's be honest, we don't always get a 10-point explanation from God why we should obey right? We don't, we don't get all this. Often when we hear from the Lord, it doesn't come with a, a manual of why. I mean, as far as for that specific situation. Um, but again, like Abraham, we, we won't always see the full picture. But again, we can trust that God's plan is good and our obedience ultimately matters. Seniors and, and graduates and, and everyone else here this morning, our obedience to the Lord matters. Amen. Our obedience matters. I pray this morning that we'll each commit ourselves anew to obeying the Lord's plan, whatever that may look like in our lives. Wherever your life takes you um, to our graduates, we can be sure of a few things that that will help encourage godly obedience in our lives. Just three things to encourage obedience. Um, First off, staying in biblical community. We talk about that a lot here at Living Word. Uh, We hope to to continually communicate the importance of, of strong biblical community. And one of the most parental things to, to say, but, but its truth is clear, is that you often become the people you hang around with, right? And you don't become them per se, but what we know what we're getting at. You, you are influenced. You are influenced by the people you're around. So in that regard, getting and staying around people who want what God wants for your life is so crucial. It's the same thing for us adults. When we're around a community of believers that it's encouraging us and loving us in the things of the Lord, there's no better place for us to be for that support and encouragement. We ultimately, ultimately, the truth is that we will find community, whether it's here or somewhere else that we shouldn't be finding community. We will find community, right? We all need it. So if you're not... Um, for, for our graduates that aren't going away to college, again, I want to encourage you all of our young adults group right here at Living Word. For those of you who are, find, find groups on campuses, Bible studies, um, ministry groups to serve through, uh, churches that are local to campus, uh, families. Encourage your students of those things. You can encourage them of those things. Um, it will take confidence and a boldness, right? Going and finding a new group is not easy, Right? Going and getting a, you, you have to take, there's action that's necessary there. But surrounding ourselves with a group of like-minded students who are pursuing, pursuing Christ um, is so, so important. We can't let the enemy convince us that we're too busy for biblical community. Do you hear me on that? We can't let the enemy convince us we're too busy for biblical community. Life doesn't get less busy, does it? <laughs> After high school, life doesn't get less busy from here on out. Secondly, if you haven't already, begin developing patterns of abiding with Jesus through prayer and time in the Word. Um, trust me, the fullness of Christ um, and His goodness and truth for our lives is found in Scripture. That's where it's found. Every challenge we face, along with every good day we have, can be undergirded in the truth of God's Word. I can't stress that enough. Lastly, listening for the Holy Spirit's voice. We believe we believe that God still speaks to us in 2018. Amen. God still speaks to us speaks to us today. 
I've been speaking the last few weeks with our youth uh, on the person of the Holy Spirit and, and who he is in our lives, his, his kind of role in our lives as the comforter, as, 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 the, um, as a guidance okay, for our lives, convicting us of sin, leading us to the, our, showing us our need for the Lord. When we make ourselves available to hear God's voice, I'm sorry, when, let me ask you a question, when do we make ourselves available to hear God's voice? We give our attention and focus to so many things, don't we? That often we fill our days with social media, with smartphones, music, whatever. Listen, of course, none of that's bad, but I encourage our students, I'm encouraging you this morning, that setting aside specific time where you're open and ready to hear the Lord's voice with zero distraction, The Holy Spirit will speak, but you and I need to be listening. Because if he has to get our attention, how many know that sometimes that's not pleasant? When he has to get our attention, he's got to shake some things up a lot of times. So as Katie comes back um, to close us this morning, um, missionary to the Middle East, um, Dick Brogdon, had this to say in his devotional, Live Dead Joy regarding obedience. He said, we pass God's test by obedience, not by performance. We pass God's test by obedience, not by performance. God is not measuring us by how much or how little we accomplish. He is measuring us by how much of our hearts he controls To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than accomplishment. To obey is better than victory. For obedience is the victory, not just a means of victory. Obedience is the victory, not just a means. In the message regarding obedience and the importance of following God in our lives, of course, the obvious thing, uh, obvious elephant in the room is that not obeying the Lord is disobedience to the Lord. The definition, right, of sin. If God is speaking to us, if he's leading us, if he's convicting us of something, which we know is the Holy Spirit's job in our lives, and we are ignoring that direction from God, we are living in willful disobedience. But in that, God this morning is lovingly with his grace, calling you back to him. Calling you back to him this morning to repent. Calling us back to repent. He's not condemning you today. There's no judgment here today for the wrong in your life. There is grace. There is mercy. There is love today provided by the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. The coolest thing about the story of Abraham and Isaac is how so, how so closely it mirrors God sending his own son to be sacrificed, to pay for the sins of the world. But there would be, the difference is, there would be no stopping the execution this time. There was no other sacrifice showing up in his place. Jesus went all the way to the cross so that you and I could have a life when what we deserved was death. So I want to pray with you this morning that our hearts would lean into the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. 
for the disobedience that's in our lives. Part of the absolute hope that is found in Christ is that nothing you and I have done can separate us from God's love and forgiveness. Nothing we've done. That thing you're thinking of can't do it. That thing in that other, that, that person's life that you're worrying and stressed about that you think has separated that other person, it hasn't. This morning we, we need, and daily we need to make the choice to turn to him and away from our sin. If you'd bow your heads with me this morning, close your eyes, I'm, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit has spoken to some this morning about that area in their lives that there may be some disobedience. If you felt the Holy Spirit prod you this morning about that thing in your life, about that disobedience lurking where no one else can see it, I want you, I would like you, encourage you to raise your hand this morning where I can see it. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you in any way or call you out in any way. Your hand raised is just an indication of your awareness of need for forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I see it. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, I see it. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. Jesus, we need you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your forgiveness. I pray for all those here this morning, hungry for your grace, Lord, hungry for your mercy. Thank you for making us clean from our sin. When what we deserve is death, God, you offer us forgiveness when we come to you in repentance.